Yo, what's good, Cliffy Mac, man? It's your boy, Mikey. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing, man. Always keep it real. Why I did a podcast? Because I always wanted to do radio. I tried to get a job at 1230 AM WBLQ in Westerly, Rhode Island, but obviously they gave me one segment. They didn't want to give me the time of day. And I call it keeping it real because people out there got keeping it real twisted. They think keeping it real is being a thug or punching someone in the face and taking what they have. No, keeping it real is being a man. Keeping it real is taking care of your family the best you can. Keeping it real is helping the friends around you, helping your community, caring about the next man. That's keeping it real. These people got it all twisted, yo. But yo, check out my podcast, Can We Keep It Real? It's your boy Mikey and I'm out. Mikey, I freaking love your podcast, man. I look forward to every episode. Um, I'm from the New England area. I'm from Lowell, Massachusetts myself. And, dude, I just love the content you bring. Honest to God, I love it. Keep, keep Stay keeping it real, really. It's, it's a pleasure to hear your, your uh, Connecticut, New England accent. I'm down here in the south now, and it's kind of like hearing an old, like an, like a relative from up north, and it's kind of like your family. You're part of my podcasting family, that's for sure, man. Much love. Keep bringing that content. You're one of a kind. You're a genuine article. I really love it. Um, so anyway, question is, uh, what inspired you to start a podcast? Do you have a favorite morning show, radio show, DJ, or something that inspired you to get on the air? Uh, anything like that would be useful for me. I'm doing it for a bit of content. Part of the questions, I'm looking for answers so I can do a little bit, create some content on my own for a show. Thank you, brother. Keep rocking. Yo, what's going on? You already know it's your boy, Mikey, host of the Can We Keep It Real podcast. Always keeping it real. Always keeping it authentic. And, you know, always keeping it 100, yo. Don't go nowhere. Up next, we got 13-year-old Rhode Island serial killer, man. The youngest serial killer in United States history. Craig Price would have been released when he was 21, but during his incarceration, more charges were brought on him. He had a release date of 2020, until recently he stabbed a Florida correctional officer. He's awaiting trial on that charge, but stay tuned for the history and how Craig Price became the Warwick Slasher. Yo, welcome back to another segment, Can We Keep It Real, hosted by your boy, Mikey, man. What's good? I'm your boy. What's going on, man? Everyone keeping it real, keeping it authentic, and keeping it 100. Yo, we back on the Craig Price kick, yo. You ain't going to want to go nowhere. You're going to want to pay attention to this, how Rhode Island's 13-year-old serial killer killed four people in a Warwick, Rhode Island neighborhood. Listen to how he did the actual killings, how the investigation went. I'm going to drop you details like you never heard of the Craig Price case, man. Craig Price, a Rhode Island serial killer. You really got to start at the beginning with Craig Price. Pretty much when his desire to kill started. I was locked up in prison with Craig Price, you know, so we lived in the same unit So I pretty much got a chance to know him, got a chance to talk to him, you know, and I pretty much heard all the the fuckery that went on, you know, with this kid, man. But I bet his desire to kill, some say it started when he was probably about nine years old. 
he was having a bike race in his neighborhood when, you know, some asshole kid said, all right, where'd you get the bike? Steal it. You know, but these could have been excuses of him. Then his tormentor, they got into the cars. It was a friggin' red Mustang, and they flew up the street after him. It got so close to Craig that he actually friggin' crashed right into the side of the curb, and he damaged his bike. He was so mad. I don't think Craig ever got over the hatred for any of them kids. He used to say they deserve to die. They deserve to die. The anger built up so much, and Craig really believed he had no other choice but to kill him. By the time he was 13 years old, the rage just just took over him. He was so consumed with so much hatred, but he said, I know what I'm going to do. He decided to murder Dick. It was someone visiting a neighbor of his. The guy had made Craig so angry, Craig tried to shrug it off, but he just couldn't. Craig would later say that he was just totally out of his zone. He just could not cope with it. The stress led him face to face with the strongest desire to murder. The guy Dick that Craig was so bent on killing. About 9 o'clock he, was, he arrived at his friend's house and he was beeping the horn. There was kids playing in the front of the house. They pretty much ignored him. So he started beeping again. They got out the way. And he was, they were just glaring at each other. Dick and Craig just were having a stare off. And Dick says, you can get run over playing in the street at night, Dick yelled out the window. And Craig said, you can get killed being an asshole. Craig was outraged. The jerk almost hit him and said next time he would. Craig couldn't get that look out of this guy's face, out of his mind, he would say. He said, I gotta kill him. That's it, bottom line. I mean, Craig would say that marijuana was the reason that he did it and the desire to kill made it helpful. But he thought out every little detail. He even brought a baseball bat to bash in the head of his two victims, Dick and the lady that Dick was visiting her, which her name was Becky. The other neighbors, Becky's brother, he worked the third shift and he wasn't going to be home. If anyone else was there, they were going to die. The driveway was empty. Damn, I missed the chance to kill Dick. And thought about, maybe I'll just trash the place or burn it down. He ran down the driveway to a wooden fence about five feet high. He left his bat neatly behind it. He climbed over the fence slowly into Becky's yard. Before getting off the ground. Trying to hold his breath to listen if anybody heard him. He crept across the yard to the back porch. He noticed a light that kept flickering inside. He went across the wooden deck and he looked through the window. Wow, she's home. Becky was on, was laying down, her head on a pillow. She was sleeping on the floor in front of her TV because Becky was moving and all her furniture pretty much been taken out. Craig slowly went over to the door. He turned the knob. It was unlocked. Oh boy, was he so happy. He entered without making a sound. Calmly and quickly as possible, he made his way to the kitchen. He found a 10-inch carving knife that he thought would be the perfect murder weapon. He went over to the sleeping mother of two. Luckily, the children 
were not there. They were at their father's house until Becky moved into the new house the next day. He stared down at the 27-year-old woman's body for some time before looking around the room. Only the carpet was in the room with some boxes and a TV stand. That was all that had to be moved to her new apartment. Davy Bowie appeared on the TV, started singing Let's Dance. That's when it all kicked in. That's when he started stabbing Becky 58 times. After Craig's first murder, a few years went by before he started getting the urge to kill again. What a savage. How vicious. I mean, at the time of his first killing, Craig's only 13 years old, lives in Buttonwoods, Rhode Island. It's mostly a white neighborhood. You know, he was always enraged. This guy was always a killer. I'm sure his killing didn't stop just then. It had to start a long time ago. But he finally worked up the goal and said, this is when I'm going to kill. 58 times he stabbed Becky. Luckily, her kids were not there because we would have a lot more bodies. There will be two more bodies instead of the original ones. But Craig became the Rhode Island's youngest serial killer, 13 years old, being caught at 15. But this guy, he was so friggin' huge. I mean, he was a big, big boy. But don't go nowhere, man. The next segment, we're going to break down how his next victims were killed. It's your boy, Mikey, man. This is Can We Keep It Real. Always keeping it real, trying to bring you what I can, man. If you like the content, hit me up. Can we keep it real? 40 at gmail.com. I'll be right back. Yo, what's going on? Welcome to another Craig Price segment on Can We Keep It Real? Hosted by your boy Mikey Rebello, man. Craig Price, total, total savage, man. First murder committed at 13. Two years later, you know, of course he got away with that. I mean, it was only his one of his neighbors, though. A few years later... Craig Price was pretty much alone September 1st. His, his friends ended up going to a house party, and he was sure that they were racist, and that's why he wasn't invited. Craig thought everybody was racist. But later on, he came across them. I think it was on like a Friday night. He would beat them up whenever he had a chance to now. When any luck, maybe some of them would show up at the beach party he was heading to down Buttonwoods. They were about maybe 20 or so. They were all white people. They were gathered around a large campfire on the beach. Most were standing around drinking beer when Craig came walking up. A few were smoking pot. Price recognized Jimmy, a boy about his age. He ran over to him and said, What's up, clown? Got an extra beer? Jimmy lifted up the can. Nah, last one. But Price could hear all the jokes being told nearby. It was like going in and out of his head. One kid asked, what kind of wood doesn't float? And then they said, I don't know, what kind? And he said, Natalie Wood. Price claimed years later that that infuriated him enough to kill. How do you make a nigga nervous was another joke. Someone said, how? Take him to an auction. See, Price figured... When he walked up, that's when they started with the nigger jokes. The dude telling the jokes was a very large guy. Price really wanted to pick him up and throw him in the damn fire. But he figured if he did that, 
he'll have to fight all 20 of them. And he wasn't really going for that. Jimmy noticed that Price was all upset. And he tried to calm him down a little bit. He said, Craig, I got a joke. This salesman sold my dad fire insurance and then tried to sell him flood insurance. My dad said, flood insurance? How the hell do I start a flood? Craig just looked at him. He really wanted to kill him at this moment. So Jimmy said, I'm going to try again. He said, Craig, last night, Johnny Carson said, America is the land of opportunity where every boy can grow up and say, hey, look, there goes a rich guy. Price didn't think none of this was funny. He listened to the large guy say, hey, I got another one. Why do black guys have big dicks? Craig looked at him even more infuriated because they didn't have toys to play with when they were kids. Price just walked away in a fit of rage. By the time he reached his street, he started walking up the street. His headaches started banging. Just the world was consuming him. It was just making matters worse when he peeked over and saw one of, her one of his neighbors peeking out her window. The neighbor was Joan Heaton. She was watching him in suspicion, Craig thought. He swore to God, everybody looking at him was looking at him in suspicious. Joan closed her binds fast. Craig started walking home even more mad. He only lived a few houses away. He was in a rage. Price went in his house. He rolled some weed. He started smoking pot. He swore he was trying to reason with himself. But the more he thought about the look on her face, the madder Craig Price got. Shortly before midnight came around, he said, I got a solution. I'm going to kill Joan Heaton. And he said a light bulb came on in his head. He would later say, may God be his witness, the thought of the solution started to ease his twisted mind. And with such clarity, he knew the act of killing Joan Heaton was the only answer to relieve his stress. Craig got up, started getting clothes out of his dresser. He put on his thieving outfit that he wears when he goes out stealing. Black clothes and sneakers covered with black tape. As soon as he left his house, he felt the adrenaline rush kick right in. He thought he had to take a shit. His headache went away. For the first time all day, Craig Price felt excited. For the first time in two years, Craig Price felt excited. His heart started beating faster. He ran across the neighbor's yard. He hopped the stockade fence to Heaton's house. He stood on the ground a minute making sure no one seen him like he did Miss Becky's house. He went over to the back door. It was locked. But not too far away he seen an open window to the small dining room. He wasn't as lucky this time around to have an open door. First he got his knife and he slowly started cutting out the screen. And then he removed his sneakers. Craig Price said his, his dick was getting hard. He looked around the backyard for nearby houses to see if anybody noticed him before he crawled in the window. He landed on a table that was under the window, but his guy's like 230 pounds. So the leg totally caved in. The noise of the furniture 
and him hitting the floor was so loud, it definitely woke someone up. Joan Heaton was a 39-year-old widow. Her eyes opened. What the hell was that noise? She quickly got out of bed and ran to the safety of her two daughters. After turning on the small lamp of her bed, she focused on the photo of her late husband in his army uniform. She missed him so much. It's been over six years since he killed himself. But really, does an hour go by without Joan thinking about him. His picture always brought a smile, followed by tears. Craig slowly got off the floor. He ran towards the bedroom. It was so dark though he couldn't see shit. The doors were shut. Suddenly a light came on through the bottom of one of the doors. Craig grabbed the doorknob so fast to his right, opened it, and there was a tiny little girl in the doorway. Her small hands put the light switch on. Her name was Melissa, seven years old. She stood there terrifying looking at Craig. Craig grabbed her, slammed a hand across her mouth, and he carried her down the hallway real fast. The door flew open and Joan appeared. She saw Price with her little baby girl and ran after her. Price tossed Melissa to the floor and then he slammed Joan against the wall, knocking a wind out of her so bad she could barely get up. She called out, call 911, hurry. As Price's knife went into her chest, she went down fast. Melissa ran for the telephone, but Price went after her. He caught her. He grabbed the phone and ripped it right out of her hands, and he, then he plunged his knife into her shoulder. Melissa screamed out in pain as Craig grabbed the stool. He bashed the poor little girl's head again and again, and every powerful blow, blood flew out, leaving splatter on him and the surrounding cabinets and the floor. There was blood everywhere. He took a moment as he watched her die. And he listened to her body rattle. While getting off her lifeless body, he noticed a rack of knives on the counter. He grabbed one and came back. At that time, 10-year-old Jennifer was kneeling by her mom, crying. Mommy, wake up. Mommy, wake up. Mommy, help, Mommy, help. What was going? This poor little girl must have been so horrified. Her mother's dead on the floor. Her sister's dead on the floor. She got this big black guy in her house. Then Craig Price ran up to her and stabbed her repeatedly also. Before long, Jennifer's arms fell limp to her side and her body fell on the floor. Again, just like he did with the sister, he leaned over and listened to her body rattle also. It came, giving him such a thrill. He would remember and talk about to the police. He said, I have something to talk about. He stabbed her bloody body over and over and over again. While in the process of stabbing Joan more than 50 times, his knife went right through a finger on his left hand. He cried out, shaking his hands, saying, see what you made me do. He ran into the bathroom and he found a band-aid or a gauze bandage. 
he returned to Joan and he dropped the wrapper right by her body. And he said, you racist bitch, that's what you get. After covering his wound, he got down on a knee and he cut out Joan's eyes. When he finished with Joan, he went into the kitchen. He tossed the knife into the sink and he looked down at Melissa. A large pool of blood had formed around her head. He got another knife from the rack and he knelt over Melissa's body at all, placing his knees just over her like he's straddling her. He stabbed her until the blade went through her thin little baby neck, stuck to the floor, and broke off at the handle. Before this guy left the house, he gathered some towels and he attempted to clean up some of the blood around his victims. In a short amount of time, he got a trash bag for the bloody towels, put his gloves in there, put the knives in there, grabbed an apple, and he left the house with his bag. He grabbed the sneakers that he left it by the window, and he sprinted home. A couple days later, the bodies were found by Joan's mother. The media right away reported that the murderers were committed by an impairment burglar living in the neighborhood. Now, there was a second murder on the same street. They, everyone thought the victims caught the robbers stealing inside their homes. Even with the obvious overkill, no one really suspected hatred as a motive. Or nobody really even talked about hatred as a likelihood. We'll be right back with more pretty much how Craig Price got arrested, how the investigation went down. And this is your boy Mikey, man. Yo, Craig Price, you are not keeping it real, man. That's some bitch-made shit killing a little girl like that, man. You a sucker. Alright, it's your boy Mikey, man. We out. Don't touch that dial yet. I told you I'll be right back. Yo, it's your boy Mikey, man. We're back at it with Craig Price, a Rhode Island serial killer at 13 years old. Rocky Point Amusement Park, when it was open in Warwick, Rhode Island, Jimmy was strolling through the park. When he seen Craig, Jimmy noticed a bandage on his hand. He shook his head. And he said, I see three more of your neighbors were sliced and diced. Still, still stealing, Craig? A friendly smile left Craig's face fast. In a rage, he pushed Jimmy. Give me that fin you owe me, clown. For what? For not bashing your ugly face in. Jimmy looked around and seen a familiar face. Jimmy showed no fear and took a step towards Price. And he said, careful, boy. I'm not a little girl, you know. You ain't going to do to me what you did to that family. And a large shadow came over. Jimmy looked up and smiled. Oh, what's up, officer? Robocop, I want you to meet King Kong. Detective Shawman said, we've met. As he stepped in front of Craig Price. And he said, what happened to your finger, Craig? Craig said, I got drunk a few nights ago. I punched out a car window. I saw a wallet on the seat I couldn't resist. Jimmy laughed. The detective was so confused, he tilted his head to the side as he looked at Price. You cut it vandalizing in the car, is that what you're telling me? Price showed Shortman's boyish smile and looked a little embarrassed. Yeah, you know, I was drunk, but the wallet was empty. Jimmy started laughing. What a moron. Confess to a lesser crime. That should work. 
Price looked at Jimmy wanting to kill him and thinking, first chance I get, I'm going to kill him. The detective grabbed Price on. Let's go to the station. I got some photos I want to show you. We got to talk. Shortman started leading Price through the crowd at Rocky Point. Detective Shortman took his prisoner out of an exit facing the bay. They walked a little before stopping in front of a takeout window. Shortman purchased a bag of clam cakes and led Price across the paved road to a parked bench that faced the water. The detective told Craig Price to have a seat on the bench and he gave him some clam cakes. Craig Price took one but didn't even say a word. The detective told Craig, enjoy the gentle wind and the smell of the salt water, Craig. Admiring the view and taking in the breath of fresh air. We can chat here or down the station where your parents present. It's up to you, Craig. Shawman bit into a round, greasy dough. He felt his fingertips. As he chewed, he examined a piece of the quahog surrounded by white batter, prying to put the rest in his mouth. Then he asked Craig if he wanted another one. Craig took another one before shoving the whole thing in his mouth. Craig's chewing with food coming out of his mouth. He said, why are we here? Detective said, to discuss your finger. For starters, can I look at it? Sure, Craig said, I don't got shit to hide. Christ took off the band-aid and extended his arm up and out in front of the detective. The detective scrutinized the cut. There's no abrasions around the wound. That's a knife wound. Was it a burglary going bad, Craig? No, I didn't do any killings. I wasn't there. Then how did you cut your finger, Craig? I told you, breaking into a car. The detective put his hands on Price's shoulder. Car glass shatters into pellets, Craig. You couldn't have pierced your finger. It's impossible. He offered Price another clam cake, and he took one himself. After he finished eating it, what kind of person murders children like that? A crazy person, or one high on drugs. We turned over evidence to the FBI for analysis. Have you ever been inside Joan Heaton's house, Craig? Craig said, no, detective, never. Then how are you going to explain your blood, your footprints, fingerprints, when these results all come back? The obvious, the police are just trying to pin the crime on a black kid, Craig said. Oh, Craig, come on. Think about it. You've been arrested for breaking and entering, peeping into house windows, vandalism, multiple assaults, and all you ever got was probation. Just last month, you assaulted your sister, you assaulted your father, and you assaulted a police officer. Your father had to help the arresting officer get you into handcuffs. And what happened, Craig? You spent the night in detention and you ended up getting probation again. I'll show you a list of white kids who spent time in Sakanaset for much, much less. If you're going to arrest me, do it. Otherwise, I want to go home. Well, before that, Craig, let me get you a cup of clam chowder. It's fantastic. Craig said, all right, but no more questions. Just one, Craig. Did you brag about murdering a neighbor who caught you thieving two years ago? And Price was rattled now. His so-called friends had ratted on him. 
he played it cool and smiled at the detective. I was just joshing with him. We were doing drugs and telling stories. Trying to outdo the other one. You must remember that it was like when you were 13 and 14 years old. The detective said, yeah, I never remember bragging about murders, though. Are you willing to take a lie detector test, Craig? Sure. I'll prove I'm not lying, Craig told the detective. Now they got Craig Price down the police station in Warwick, Rhode Island. Price remembers thinking, these tests seem ridiculously easy to beat. Do you know where the murder weapons are, he thought. Oh, fuck, they're in my shed. No, he answered. The machine detected indecisions. He was lying. The police got a warrant for his house, and the shed was searched. During the search, the bag was found in the shed. After seeing the murder weapon and bloody gloves inside, Price was put under arrest and handcuffed at the time. His mother started crying. And his father screamed at the arresting officers. What are you doing? While Craig's in custody a few weeks go by to his 16th birthday. And Craig Price confessed to four murders. On September 21st of 1989, Craig Price appeared before a judge at Kent County Courthouse in Warwick, Rhode Island. During them proceedings, Price was read the four murders and burglary charges against him. He pled guilty to all of them. The judge ordered that he be held at the training school for boys until he was 21 years old. At the time, the maximum sentence allowed by law in Rhode Island. Also, he worked to undergo psychiatric treatment to prepare him for release as a free man with a clean record. While Craig's in handcuffs, he left the courthouse with a smile on his face. Some of his chums were outside shouting his name. He yelled to them, Later, when I get out, we're going to smoke a bomber. While Craig Price was in jail, he's been charged with all types of crimes, starting with refusing psychological evaluations, which was ordered by the court, and it ended with he stabbed the correctional officer's finger with a homemade shank in his possession, His current release date was scheduled for May of 2020. But Price is awaiting trial. I think he has a September trial date coming up for us. He got a stabbing over in Florida. Price will tell you that he paid his debt to society and is being kept in jail due to racism. I don't think it's due to racism. I think he's being kept in jail because... There's no possibly chance that a guy like this can be rehabilitated. So they did what they did to keep him in jail. Is it right? Do I agree with it? No. I think he should be in prison for the rest of his life. The dude's a savage. I know personally. But thanks for listening. It's your boy Mikey. Can we keep it real? The Craig Price story, man. Alright, man. Keep it real. Keep it official and keep it authentic. And don't forget to hit the like button, hit the share, and hit that bell notification button, yo. It's your boy Mikey, man, and I'm on all platforms. FM, can we keep it real? It's your boy Mikey, man, and we out. Yo, you already know, man. It's your boy Mikey, host of the Can We Keep It Real podcast. Check us out on the following platforms. Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, 
CastBox, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, and now Spotify. That's what's up, yo. It's your boy. Can we keep it real? Keeping it real, keeping it authentic, and keeping it a hundred. Yo, what's going on, man? You already know it's your boy Mikey, host of the Can We Keep It Real podcast, man. Yo, check it out, man. If you like the content, help me out. You want to make a donation, hit me up through PayPal. PayPal me slash Can We Keep It Real. I'll throw the link in the description. Yo, it's your boy Mikey, man. Always keeping it real, keeping it authentic, and keeping it a hundred. Yo, hit me up. Drip, drip fills the bucket. Yo, it's your boy Mikey, man. Can we keep it real? I love hip-hop, man. I mean, but where'd hip-hop start? Hip-hop's as old as I am, man. Like 44, 45 years old, man. But it's said to be coined by Grandmaster Flash, Furious Five member Keith Cowboys Wiggins, man. The music movement of hip-hop can be traced right back to post-industrial South Bronx days by the 70s. DJ Cool Herc, a legend who kicked off the movement historically, perceived an expression of urban youth, and before too long had spread across the entire borough, where it soon became a celebration as well as a powerful tool used during protests. It was DJ Herc who laid the groundwork for everything associated with hip-hop today. The Jamaican-born DJ would often speak over rhyming beats known within the music as toasting and at parties in his high-rise house and apartments. He would extend the beat of a record using two record players, isolating the drum breaks by using a mixer to switch between the two, as it's more commonly known as scratching. Herc isn't the only name associated with pioneer the movement. Cindy Campbell, the mother of hip-hop, was the one who organized the party, which is got credit with the birth of the movement, establishing her status as the first hip-hop music promoter. At that same party, Campbell aided Herc in the percussion breaks. Hip-hop started itself as the mainstream by 1979, and over the course of the next 15 years, pretty much, hip-hop made its way around the world. Far from the South Bronx where it started. But like any style of music, hip-hop had its roots. In other forms too. And it started to evolution was shaped by many, many different artists. But there's a case to be made that it came to life on a certain day in 73 at a birthday party in the Bronx. In a recreation room in New York City. The location of the birthplace was 1520 Segwick Ave in New York, and the man who presided over the historic party was the birthday girl's brother, Clive Campbell, but better known to us as the historic DJ Cool Kirk, the founding father of hip-hop. DJ Cool Kirk was born and raised in Kingston, Jamaica. He began spinning records at parties between sets that his father's band was playing while he was a teenager after he moved to the Bronx in the early 70s. DJ Herc often emulated the style of Jamaican selectors by toasting, which is pretty much talking over the records he spun. That was pretty much how MC originally started.
but his historical significance pretty had nothing to do with the rapping. DJ Cool Herc's contribution to hip-hop was even more fundamental than that. DJ Cool Herc, he had a signature innovation when it came from looking how the crowd reacts to different parts of whatever record he happened to be spinning. He was noticing people used to wait for certain parts of the record to start dancing to special moves. So those moments gave him an idea, I need to make a drum break. In the moments in a record when your vocals and other instruments would drop out completely for a measure of like two pure rhymes, he decided to do was add another turntable in a typically DJ setup Not a way to make a smooth transition between the records, but pretty much as a way to switch back and forth repeatedly between the two copies of the same record. Extended pretty much a short drum break that the crowd most wanted to hear. He called this trick the merry-go-round. Today it's pretty known of breaking beats. But by the summer of that year, 1973... DJ Cool Herc been using and refining his breakbeat style for the better part of a year now. His sister was having a party on August 11, but put him before his biggest crowd ever and with the most powerful sound system he ever worked with. It was a total success at that party, and that started a grassroots musical revolution. Really, six years before the term, hip-hop really ever even entered the music vocabulary. DJ Cool Herc was doing his thing. So on August 11th, if you want to celebrate something, say happy birthday to hip-hop and shout out DJ Cool Herc. Yo, it's your boy Mikey, man. Can we keep it real? I love hip-hop, man. I mean, but... Where'd hip-hop start? Hip-hop's as old as I am, man. Like 44, 45 years old, man. But it's said to be coined by Grandmaster Flash, Furious Five member Keith Cowboys Wiggins, man. The music movement of hip-hop can be traced right back to post-industrial South Bronx days by the 70s. DJ Cool Herc, a legend, who kicked off the movement historically, perceived an expression of urban youth and before too long had spread across the entire borough, where it soon became a celebration as well as a powerful tool used during protests. It was DJ Herc who laid the groundwork for everything associated with hip-hop today. The Jamaican-born DJ would often speak over rhyming beats known within the music as toasting and at parties in his high-rise house and apartments. He would extend the beat of a record using two record players, isolating the drum breaks by using a mixer to switch between the two, as it's more commonly known as scratching. Herc isn't the only name associated with pioneer the movement. Cindy Campbell, the mother of hip-hop, was the one who organized the party which is got credit with the birth of the movement, establishing her status as the first hip-hop music promoter. At that same party, Campbell aided Herc in the percussion breaks. 
Hip-hop started itself as the mainstream by 1979 and over the course of the next 15 years pretty much, hip-hop made its way around the world. Far from the South Bronx where it started. But like any style of music, hip-hop had its roots. In other forms too. And it started to evolution was shaped by many, many different artists. But there's a case to be made that it came to life on a certain day in 73 at a birthday party in the Bronx. In a recreation room in New York City. The location of the birthplace was 1520 Segwick Ave in New York. And the man who presided over the historic party was the birthday girl's brother, Clive Campbell, but better known to us as the historic DJ Cool Kirk, the founding father of hip-hop. DJ Cool Kirk was born and raised in Kingston, Jamaica. He began spinning records at parties between sets that his father's band was playing while he was a teenager after he moved to the Bronx in the early 70s. DJ Herc often emulated the style of Jamaican selectors by toasting, which is pretty much talking over the records he spun. That was pretty much how MC and originally started. But his historical significance pretty had nothing to do with the rapping. DJ Cool Herc's contribution to hip-hop was even more fundamental than that. DJ Cool Herc, he had a signature innovation when it came from looking how the crowd reacts to different parts of whatever record he happened to be spinning. He was noticing people used to wait for certain parts of the record to start dancing to special moves. So those moments gave him an idea, I need to make a drum break. In the moments in a record when your vocals and other instruments would drop out completely for a measure of like two pure rhymes, he decided to do was add another turntable in a typically DJ setup, not a way to make a smooth transition between the records, but pretty much as a way to switch back and forth repeatedly between the two copies of the same record. Extended pretty much a short drum break that the crowd most wanted to hear. He called his trick the merry-go-round. Today it's pretty known of breaking beats. But by the summer of that year, 1973, DJ Cool Herc been using and refining his breakbeat style for the better part of a year now. His sister was having a party on August 11th, but put him before his biggest crowd ever and with the most powerful sound system he ever worked with. It was a total success at that party, and that started a grassroots musical revolution. Really, six years before the term, hip-hop really ever even entered the music vocabulary. DJ Cool Herc was doing his thing. So on August 11th, if you want to celebrate something, say happy birthday to hip-hop and shout out DJ Cool Herc.